Welcome to Vistas by WebCheck Security. News, views, and insights into the cybersecurity realm, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Produced by WebCheck Security, a world-class cyber penetration testing and fractional CISO company. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm your host. Today's podcast welcomes Neil Gonsalves, founder and CEO of WebCheck Security's longtime partner, ARC360. Joining Neil is Bernie Wedge, a key member of ARC360's advisory board, and just a cool guy. <laughs> Today's topic, what's new in IT compliance in 2024? Vistas is sponsored by Nexus IT, a worry-free, hyper-responsive approach to providing world-class IT support and solutions so leaders can focus on their business. Shout out to Earl Foote and his crew, another amazing CEO with the high integrity and a great bass player. <laughs> Reach out to Earl's crew for IT security needs at www.nexusitc.net. And now, folks, to introduce our founder and uh, esteemed board member today, Neil Gonsalves, is the founder and CEO of ARC360, a dynamic, results-focused leader with successful track record in helping businesses with their information security and compliance strategies and initiatives. With an eye for identifying risk, Neil leads a team of IT auditors and advisors to make the right IT compliance and cybersecurity risk management attainable for his clients. With an impressive track record of successfully helping client in clients in various assessments such as SSAE 21, PCI DSS, ISO 27000, and high trust, Neil now guides ARC360 to excellent. Now, Bernie Wedge is an esteemed member of ARC360's advisory board. Bernie brings extensive ex expertise and experience as a qualified technology expert and cybersecurity specialist. With over 35 years of strategic leadership at Ernst & Young, including leading the EY America's technology risk practice, Bernie is now success instrumental in shaping ARC360's business strategy with a focus on driving the highest quality of services provided to their clients. Together, Neil and Bernie bring a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the podcast. Gentlemen, Welcome to the podcast. I'm so honored to have you here today. Neil, let's start with you. Let's catch our audience up. It's been two years since you've been on this podcast. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing, uh, what's up with your family, and maybe a little bit about what you like to do in your spare time. Absolutely. Greg, first and foremost, thank you so much for uh, having Bernie and myself on, on your podcast. Uh, I know we had a lot of fun doing this uh, the first time, and I'm sure we're going to um, have a wonderful time today, but more importantly, yes. also, uh, yeah, you know, uh, providing some good, good knowledge to your to your audience uh, that would really, uh, you know, be of value to them as they go into 2024. Uh, just a little, little bit about what has transpired since the past couple of years. So obviously, as a firm, I'll go a little bit on the professional side first. Uh, the Arc360, as our firm, has grown really well. We've added a couple of uh, service lines to our suite of services that we provide as well. Um, and the firm has been growing really well. We are fortunate to serve uh, a very wonderful and diverse set of clients uh, and uh, uh, you know, helping them through their security and compliance initiatives. Uh, and so absolutely, Greg, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful. No complaints at all out there. 
Uh, on a personal front, uh, uh, my since we last spoke, my daughter uh, graduated from the University of Michigan and uh, wow. actually is back in Atlanta working uh, for, for Delta. Uh, and uh, my son uh, is a freshman at uh, Georgia Tech and he's um, uh, currently he's enrolled to uh, the aerospace engineering program. So uh, everything going well uh, on the personal front. Uh, uh, you know, I have, have had a little bit of time to devote to myself as well. I, you, you mentioned what you like doing. I've started playing a lot more tennis and, you know, really oh. enjoying that. And as as you know, you know, whenever we do chat, you know, we uh, uh, I, I love food. So uh, I always tell people, you know, I, I live to eat and not the other way around. So, uh, yeah, you know, so, so those are a little bit of, uh, you know, my, my passion and my hobbies in terms of what I do outside of my time. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when I'm not involved with Act 360. Fantastic. Well, you love food, but you're looking slim and svelte, and now I know why. You're playing tennis, right? But I won't play you, Neil. I'm a terrible tennis player. I, I do racquetball. I lift weights. I don't play tennis. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Neil. Bernie, tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Yeah, thanks, Greg, and uh, thanks for calling me a cool dude. That was a really impressive uh, opening. Uh, so uh, uh, glad to be here, and uh, you know, I have four kids, family side, and two grandkids now. It's the light of my life, and uh, I spend a lot of time with. Uh, I have to meet your buddy Earl. I'm also a musician. I'm a trumpet player, and I'm trying to get back into that, so I need a bass player. I need somebody to hook up with to, to have a band, I think. Very good. And, uh, Finally, uh, this time of the year, I'd be remiss to say I'm a big college football guy. I have to say I'm a graduate, proud graduate, University of Alabama. I know there's a lot of Alabama haters out there, <laughs> but uh, we're on the we're on the way to the playoff again. I feel it this year, so more more to come. Glad well, to be here. Congratulations to Alabama fans everywhere. I won't talk about my uh, uh, alma mater, BYU. They've uh, unfortunately not been too uh, too good. They almost beat Oklahoma and uh, just fumbled in an interception, and you can't do that and win ball games. Anyway, we don't want to talk about football today. <laughs> Bernie, thank you for being on as well. We really appreciate all of the insight and advice you bring to ARC360. It's been fun to see ARC360 grow over the last five years, and um, we certainly have witnessed that. Well, Bernie, there's been a lot of changes in compliance. So we're going to kick this off with you today. Um, there's SOC 1, there's SOC 2. SOC 1 has to do with companies that are uh, involved in the general ledger or the financial controls of other organizations. So many fintech and, and uh, financial type companies, uh, services companies will often be asked to get a SOC 1 report. Well, what's changed? What's new there? And, and, and what do companies need to be aware of, Bernie, with uh, regards to SOC 1 reports in 2024? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I've been around a long time, so I've seen, as Neil probably has, you know, SAS 70, the history. SOC 1 reports have been around a long time, and we've evolved. We call them SOC 1 today. But I have to say, more than ever, they're they're very very important for for many reasons. Uh, one is that we'll talk a little bit later, maybe about public companies and and SOX, Sarbanes Oxley. But the requirements under SOX 
continue to increase. And, and one of those is to get SOC reports, SOC 1 reports particularly, because as you mentioned, it supports financial or control. So uh, more and more scrutiny. I guess what's new, there was some new guidance that came out in uh, February of, of this year that really changes some of the standards. There weren't major changes. Let's say they were there were tweaks. But for those out there listening to prepare a SOC 1 report, you're going to expect your auditor to be asking you to expand uh, in a couple areas. One is how vendors and subservice organizations, we call them, are talked about in the SOC report. So many companies are doing outsourcing. That has to be adequately uh, described. There's also um, more completeness and accuracy in listing of the reports that, as a service provider, you give to your customers and, and the requirements around making sure those are complete and accurate. Uh, so, the, the standards are changing uh, slightly, but it, the long story short, more expansion and more more in the SOC report has to be there than in the past. Okay. Well, thanks for that information. Now, I understand that the SOC 2 requirements have changed as well this year. And for our listeners, SOC 2 is a little bit more ubiquitous than SOC 1 and has to do with all service organizations broadly and attests to the design or the effectiveness of their uh, cybersecurity controls. So tell our audience what's changed with SOC 2 requirements and what do they need to be aware of in 2024? Yeah, I love that word ubiquitous, Greg. You're right. And it's funny, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been the opposite. There were more SOC 1s, but SOC 2s are exploding, yes. right? Uh, companies' requirements to want to want to demonstrate their cybersecurity controls. Uh, vendor management, vendor risk management requirements are requiring contractually companies to have a SOC 2. So we've seen major explosion there. So similar to SOC 1, the standards have been updated for SOC 2. So those going through a SOC 2 this year in October of last year, there were some some updates. And and, and then once again, probably not major updates, but the main couple of things are the, the trust services criteria. So those do SOC 2 know these are the, the set of uh, standards and objectives. There's about uh, 30 or so specific uh, control criteria that SOC 2 requires you to be audited against, uh, the, the points of focus that are under those cr control criteria have been expanded. So things like maybe companies are already doing like multi-factor authentication, you now have to discuss um, whether or not you're uh, doing MFA or not doing MFA, and if not, you know, why not? So there's things like that. The risk assessment guidance is, is increased, uh, uh, change management, uh, points to consider have increased. So uh, all in all, and sort of in keeping with the current trends in cybersecurity, um, companies be encouraged to put more details in their SOC 2 about how they accomplish their important uh, cyber controls. And that's good information, Bernie. I've always felt like SOC 2 was a little bit loosey-goosey. So if you were to contract contrast the annex controls of ISO or even PCI, which of course really applies mostly to a cardholder data environment, but is very prescriptive on the controls. There's quite a delta between the two standards. And um, a lot of companies use SOC 2 almost as their cybersecurity framework, but in doing so, they kind of miss uh, a lot of good security controls potentially. It's, it's good to see that the AICPA is kind of, I guess, uh, tightening those requirements. Would you agree that's what's happening here? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think we think about these points of focus that they're called, and there's probably well over 100 of those now in the SOC mm -hmm. 2 guidance, are the things that the auditor is looking for. It might not be prescriptive, you know, as an actual requirement, but it does require the auditor to consider and work with the companies to consider based on their risk profile, 
are these points of focus, you know, required or not required? So I think it's becoming closer to a list of things you need to do. Uh, not quite to the full requirement, uh, you know, level as you mentioned, but, uh, you know, definitely uh, a lot more for auditors to look at when they're you know, performing the SOC 2 uh, attestation. Good information. Now, over the past year, guys, we have seen a spurt of these GRC tools pop on, on the market. Most people know what that is, but so don't be offended if uh, our listeners, if I describe this, it's governance, risk, and compliance. These are tools that typically were like um, uh, RSA's um, tool and, and were big and kind of unwieldy and hard to manage. There have been a number of companies pop up with these software as a service GRC tools to help uh, with the claim that, uh, you know, get your SOC 2 in two weeks or uh, automate the process and make it easy. Um, Neil, I'll go to you on this one. Do you have any thoughts about what's happening with the GRC tools arena? And, and you know, are these is it are these a good thing? Um, what do we need to be wary of? Uh, how do you see what's happening out there? Yeah, no, absolutely, Greg. Uh, just to get started off with, I just want to kind of uh, differentiate a little bit between you know the traditional GRC tools that we've been used to seeing. These are the large ones like Archer, Archer, right? RSA Archer large publicly traded companies versus the ones that we are seeing uh, right now. You know, just to name drop a few, we see, you know, a tool by the name of Grata out there. Um, you know, then there's Vanta. So those are a couple of names just to for people to get uh, to to draw some linkage. Right. Uh, but just, you know, we're kind of differentiating those two in, in terms of calling one GRC tools. And the other are more of security and compliance solutions. OK, so they are more targeted around information security. They do have some enterprise-wide stuff as well, but obviously the greater focus on those tools is around security and compliance. Uh, I would I would definitely say, you know, to your audience, you know, these, uh, uh, there are a ton of tools out there. So, I mean, first and foremost, you know, your, your, your audience should really evaluate, is this something that they truly want? There are benefits to implementing, um, you know, any of these tools, right? I mean, just a couple of examples that I can give. First and foremost, these tools link to various uh, parts of your information system. So uh, gathering data from your information systems that would be used or relevant to an audit in an automated fashion, uh, you know, is truly beneficial. So it not only saves you time, uh, but also enhances the control, right? It's kind of you're looking at things almost in real time. Uh, so that would be one, one significant benefit. Uh, the other benefit more from an audit perspective and when we get involved is that at that point in time, uh, the client has already pulled a lot of the information into these tools, right? And when we go in and audit the client, the information that we need to obtain as part of the audit is already sitting out there. And it it makes the process a lot more efficient, uh, but then also uh, you know helps uh, facilitate an effective audit as well. And we, we do see some benefit in terms of the level of effort and the way we've always approached it is that, you know, if we can save some time on the audit, uh, definitely, you know, why not we pass those savings back on to the client? Uh, but but uh, Greg, also to your point, I think, you know, I want your audience to know it's not just a one size fits all, correct? You know, right. there are some companies really benefit from it and others. It, 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 it is what you put into it, correct? At the end of the day, right? I mean, you've got to invest the time and the effort to make sure that you implement these uh, solutions in the right manner. <clears throat> you know, you, you put in the right amount of information out there 
And then you set up the controls wherein it truly gives you the benefit that you know it uh, that that you should you should get out of it. So, uh, so 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 just a couple. Bottom line is absolutely these tools are good. They are effective. Uh, they help your company in their security and compliance posture, and also help from an uh, from an audit perspective. Uh, but but obviously you should be you should be doing a thorough evaluation based on what your needs are. Okay, so uh, hopefully hopefully that kind of I gave you a long winded answer to your question, but I wanted to very clearly explain that. That's that's good info and just just an insight for our listeners as well. Um, you know, as a as a fractional uh, CISO company and a penetration test company, we always say this is kind of our maxim. The tool is only as good as the person wielding it, right? And many of our CISOs have said, look, there are some companies that are looking at these as a short-term uh, quick-fix solution to help them uh, accelerate their SOC too, but they're a company of maybe five people, a bunch of developers, right? And they have a SaaS product, and they've been asked to do this. Well, these platforms are expensive, Neil. And uh, if, with a five-person company managing by spreadsheet is probably okay for a few years until such time as the company is large enough that um, the agents on the machines to tell you whether your endpoint is turned on and all of the corporate memory that these tools provide uh, can provide that kind of a return on investment and an advantage. And even when they do or when they reach that point, you've got to have somebody that knows what they're doing running those tools. And so what we see is a lot of these companies will spend um, and you know let's throw it out there these these tools are usually um, 10 15 20 thousand uh, dollars and that's even below the 50 user mark right and and so companies I think to your point really have to evaluate the ROI there I think for larger enterprise, it, it, it is a good thing, and but it doesn't, of course, invalidate the absolutely essential skill of a good company like Arc360 coming in, who's AICPA certified, is a CPA firm focused on IT assurance uh, to, to not only make sure they're going down the right path, but to uh, provide that independent audit and, and the ultimate um, certification or examination correct um yeah, so, so there is a double-edged sword there and 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 the tool is only as good as the person wielding it <laughs> absolutely so yeah yeah we've um, we, we've found that we have um some partnerships with some of the above aptiga uh, vanta um and and we can actually go in and install uh those products and run them for the company but then guess who we turn to? We pull in um, our partners and ARC360 is, <laughs> as you know, recently we pulled you in to do the uh, compliance services and what you do is I extremely, extremely valuable. Absolutely. So thanks for your insight on that. Any other thoughts on uh, any of those uh, products or, or the trend in the industry to integrate AI into them? Uh, yeah, uh, Greg. Just, just let me add a couple more points. You know, one of the things, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we we touch upon this also a little bit later. Uh, but you know, the integration uh, of these tools into various compliance initiatives, right? So it's not right. only to SOC, but some of these tools map very nicely to other compliance initiatives. So you know, your ISO 27001 or PCI. Uh, and so I think I think that's another benefit, especially for a slightly larger client has to comply with multiple frameworks, then you know how do you do it once but apply it across 
different compliance initiatives, right? So that is that is one key benefit. And I think I alluded towards this earlier as well. Uh, you, you know, there is a lot of intelligence built into these tools as well. So, you know, in an automated fashion, if it's again set up correctly, right. to pull information and then generate only exception reporting wherein, you know, a, a reviewer of this information is not filtering through thousands and thousands of pages, but is obviously getting reports only on an exception basis and focusing on where the key risks lie, correct? So I right. think I think there are a couple of other subtle benefits <laughs> that land can get out of it. Good insight. Bernie, then, you had a comment too. Well, yeah, just adding one thing maybe to close this out where you came back in the opening, that, but the two-week <laughs> SOC 2 is highly unrealistic, uh, particularly for a first go-round. You know, we think the cycle takes a, a while to do the proper planning, set up preparation to get it right. I think there's danger in trying to do it in two weeks that you'll you'll miss something too. So we'd be highly skeptical of the two-week SOC 2. Absolutely, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thanks for that insight, guys. Now, uh, another question here. I understand, folks, that ARC360 has become a formal provider of ISO certs. Tell me more about what that is and and, and what does the demand for ISO certifications look like? Uh, yeah, Greg, uh, thanks for uh, bringing that up. So uh, ARC360, uh, uh, as of earlier this year, uh, is now an ISO 27001 certification body. Uh, ISO, ISO, as you know, has you know thousands of standards. Uh, you know, 9001 is one that most commonly people see out there. Uh, but but the one that we are focused on is 27001, which focuses on a company's information security management systems. Okay, so that is kind of the crux of uh, what the 27001 certification is all about. Uh, R360, as I mentioned, is a certification body, so we are allowed to issue the 27,001 certificates and, and our accreditation, um, you know, uh, allows us to, to, to do that. Uh, what's, what's changed with ISO 27,001? So uh, as of today, uh, the ISO 27,001 2013 standard is still in force, okay? But that is going to be phased out as of October 31st, 2025. So as of October 31st, 2025, ISO 27001, the 2013 version is going to be sunset. Okay. And the 22 version is kind of what would be applicable. Uh, however, uh, companies that are going in for their ISO 27001, especially if you are doing it for the first time, uh, you know, you should you should kind of be thinking about it and almost move to the most recent version rather than stick to the older one. Correct. If you are just doing it for the first time. So I think the important uh, soundbite out here is to realize that there is a new standard out there and companies who are thinking about this right now should adopt the new standard, which is called the ISO 27001 2022 version. OK, so that okay. is an important thing to is that it, uh, it was released in 2022, so it has got some linkage with the year, but that is the most recent and updated version. So if I'm a small SaaS company, I've just received my SOC 2 examination by uh, uh, ARC 360, and I've been successful with that process. Why would I want uh, an ISO certification on top of that? Yeah, great question. Uh, so, Greg, the ISO uh, framework uh, is has been, you know, uh, traditionally more uh, prominent or relevant uh, outside of the U.S. So, especially in Europe and in Asia, uh, the ISO twenty seven thousand one framework is much more recognized. Uh, 
however, we've, we've seen that over the past several years, companies in the U.S. have started doing business with clients in Europe or in Asia, mm-hmm. or we've got clients uh, in, in Europe who now you know, are doing business in, in the U.S. So if a company has already got their existing SOC 2 examination, uh, that might be that might serve their U.S. client base really well. But if they are now looking to expand uh, their customer base across uh, across the oceans, uh, then you know they might get requests to add on a twenty seven thousand one onto their existing SOC two examination. So 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 th- so there might be a business business driver for that. Uh, having said that, I also want to clearly articulate that there is a decent amount of overlap between the SOC 2 requirements and 27,001. So a company thinking about adding on a SOC uh, 27,001 shouldn't think that it's going to be twice the effort, correct? One of our objectives at uh, ARC 360 is to try and make the audit process very efficient and effective. So can we test the controls once, but use it across multiple frameworks, right? So the SOC 2 and 27,001. So anyway, those are some considerations that your clients or your audience should be thinking about uh, and, and again, I think, you know, uh, those would be some of the pointers why someone would want to add on a 27,001 onto an existing SOC 2 report. Gotcha. So as they expand into European um, clientele, uh, the ISO is more recognized. And also, isn't ISO a little bit more em- emphasizing iterative uh, improvement um, and having uh, quality processes where the cybersecurity program management is constantly improving every year. Yes, yeah, so so to a certain extent, you know, the new version, uh, especially the 2022 version that we just spoke about, uh, does does focus on on the risk assessment to a great extent. Okay, and you'll see that not only in 27,000, but when other frameworks as well. Uh, so so they want this to be kind of an evolving. Uh, process for companies, and it's it's not you know you just do it one and done, correct? You know they right. want to think about their posture and how the, the the change in in the nature of risks is constantly evolving, and a company should adjust their you know their security posture according to that, correct? So so there is a defined uh, set of uh, clauses and controls which twenty seven thousand one um, you know lists out, and you've got to adhere to those. But but even out of those 93-odd controls that are currently in the 2022 standard, uh, you can tailor what's applicable to your organization. There's something called a statement of applicability. So not all the 93 controls might be applicable to your organization. Uh, you might outsource some to, let's say, a third-party hosting provider. Uh, you may have a third-party software development company that's involved with building your software. In those cases, some of those controls can be excluded from your own certification, and you focus on only what's relevant to you. So so hopefully that, that addressed that question. Good info. We're going to take a quick sponsor break here. And uh, it used to be notebooks, posters, and banners, but now... It's Nexus IT, virtual servers, desktops, internet content filtering, web hosting, cloud infrastructure, and more. Are you ready to jump your company forward a few decades? Let Nexus IT consultants show you how. To find out more, go to www.nexusitc.net or call them at 435-659-2533. Let me say it again, 435-659-2533. 
And we're back with Neil Gonsalves and Bernie Wedge of ARC360, a WebCheck amazing partner for IT assurance and certification services. All right. So, Neil, I understand um, the high trust offerings have also expanded. Can you briefly describe the differences? Just to uh, let your audience know, first and foremost, high trust was originally uh, started as uh, you know framework more focused around the healthcare business. It it was formed by a consortium of some of the largest healthcare providers and uh, uh, payers out there uh, to build up the framework focused on protected health information. Anthem, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, um, Healthcare Corporation of America, some of those Kaiser's of the world. You yep, know those yep. are the ones together. Uh, but uh, so so a couple of years ago, there was only one standard and everybody had to report under that framework. Um, over the years, Hikers did recognize that, you know, there are smaller organizations uh, who really, you know, it was, it was extremely cumbersome for them to adhere to the requirements that, you know, the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world were set up against, right? And, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Uh, so Hypress over the past year and a half has has come up with a couple of other reporting options, uh, which are catered towards small to mid-sized organizations. Uh, the first one is called the E1 uh, Validated Assessment. Uh, and that focuses around a defined set of 44 requirement statements or 44 controls. If, if you, It might be a little bit more controls, but requirement statements is what they go by. And, and that's, that's basically, you know, as a to serve small small clients but it also helps a company as a stepping stone to get to the next level right you know so you form a good base of of controls and then you can obviously add on as you as you go along so so that's the first option uh, the second option is what they call the i1 assessment uh, and the I-1 assessment has a defined set of 182 requirement statements. So still is a significant jump from the 44, uh, but, but but again, it's it's more for mid-sized companies who have a high level of risk, who have a high level of or a high number of transactions related to protected health information that filters or comes through their organization. And on the very uh, uh, higher end of the spectrum is what is called the R2 validated assessment, uh, which can be anywhere from 300 plus requirement statements going all the way up to 800, 850 odd requirement statements. So, so again, it's a pretty significant jump, uh, but your audience should understand that they have those three options. All three of those options result in a high press certification, uh, which actually is, is, is issued not by the CPA form or not by ARC 360. The certification is actually issued by high trust themselves. So, these are the three options, again, for companies who have, uh, you know, not really, uh, you, you know, paid attention or, you know, just because, uh, you know, it kind of deterred them uh, because the standard was so cumbersome at one point in time, should realize that there are other more uh, reasonable and palatable options uh, that they can now consider. Well, that's that's good news for smaller SaaS and technology companies that are serving the health healthcare market and found high trust to be kind of unwieldy, as you've uh, implied here. And uh, but it, it it still goes through the MyCSF tool, right? They have to they have to purchase that tool, <laughs> correct? From the High Trust Alliance. Yes, yes, that is that is accurate, Greg. So MyCSF tool is uh, the tool that High Trust uh, themselves license. And typically, you know, the entire uh, audit has to be, the client has to populate 
the information. So their set of controls, as well as all the supporting evidence, has to be uh, populated within the MyCSF tool. And then we, as the external assessment firm, go ahead and perform our validated assessment of their controls, again, using all the information within that tool itself. And so there is complete visibility uh, between uh, the auditee, the assessment firm, i.e. R360 or any other high-trust uh, um, assessor, and then the high-trust organization themselves. So that way, at the end of the day, once it comes time for certification, all the information is all contained at one place, and it facilitates a quicker issuance of the certificate at the end of the day. And and you answered a, a key question, and that is, if the High Trust Alliance issues the certification, do they still need an ARC 360? And the answer is absolutely, because the, the uh, an, an, a certified High Trust assessor still needs to come in and validate those controls, even, even though they've purchased the MyCSF software tool, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now, that kind of leaves us with uh, the final standard to discuss today here, Neil. I left the best for last, PCI. That's almost a swear word with some companies, right? PCI is a necessary evil if you are uh, storing, processing, or um, traversing uh, any kind of credit card data, particularly as a service provider doing it for others, but even as a large merchant that might have a million or more transactions. As we know, years ago, MasterCard said, hey, it's not just the Walmarts of the world that, that are doing 6 million transactions a year, but 1 million transactions and you fall on MasterCard's audit uh, radar. Uh, and so it kind of lowered the threshold. Well, we've had PCI 4.0 come out um, and so what does this change for 2024, Neil? Can you take a minute to describe what uh, what's changed and when does the old standard sunset and, and any other insights about PCI this coming year? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so Greg, you rightly pointed out, uh, PCI has uh, now released uh, version 4.0, uh, which supersedes uh, the current existing version, which is 3.2.1. Okay, so that's kind of at a high level for your audience. Uh, so that they can, uh, you know, have some reference uh, to go to. Um, uh, some of the changes, uh, what what was driving the changes, uh, obviously, uh, you know, 3.2.1 has been around for quite a while, uh, but there were certain areas wherein, um, you know, PCI needed to provide better guidance, okay, or, right. or more clarification on what the requirements were, how do companies need to implement those requirements, and then more importantly, how do you audit them as well, correct? So, so there was some clarification. Uh, there were also some structural changes to the actual uh, you know, format of PCI, so rearranging of some of the requirements you know, from uh, you know, requirement three on to requirement 12 and kind of you know, vice versa. So, so that is kind of more old wine in, an, uh, in, in a new bottle, right? And so nothing really significant. But then there have also been some new points of, uh, you know, new new requirements that have been added. Uh, and, and some of those are very technical, you know, wherein, uh, you know, a very simple example would mean, you know, to make sure that uh, any password requirements now are not only implemented, uh, you know, only at the application level, but kind of throughout your uh, infrastructure as well, so that there's adequate protection at all levels, uh, you know, of your uh, information systems, right? So, and that might take some some time and effort, uh, kind of leading me into, you know, when does 4.0 actually become applicable, right? So, 
Food Auto is currently out there. So companies, again, who are doing this for the first time can directly jump to 4.0. Uh, but for companies who are currently on 3.2.1, if your assessment is anytime after March 31st, 2024, so i.e. April 1st, 2024 and onwards, you have to comply with 4.0. Okay, so that is the bottom line. So, uh, so, so for companies, let's say, you know, as a simple example, if your last assessment was June of 2023, well, you have to comply with uh, the new 4.0 standard as of uh, June 30th of 2024. Okay, so that's something that that you need to be thinking about. Uh, having said that, uh, the the uh, as of March 31st, 2024, 3.2.1 is going to be phased out completely. It's going to be sunset. So there's not going to be any 3.2.1 every company from there on would have to adhere to 4.0. Uh, there's, there's one point of clarification that I wanted to add. Uh, there are some of the, uh, across, across the various changes, uh, whoever is you know, looking at the standard would see that there are some requirements that are applicable only as of March 31st, 2025, okay? And so these are some of the more onerous requirements, some of the more stringent changes that TCI is giving companies some time to implement them. But as of March 31st, 2025, all requirements of the new framework have to be put in place. So just to kind of further clarify, March 31st, 2024, 4.0 goes into effect. 3.2.1 is completely phased out for some of the requirements you have until March 31st of 2025 to adhere to. So anyway, again, I just wanted to explain that very clearly so that it provides some good information to your audience. Thank you. That that's good insight. There there have been quite a few changes over the years as as cloud and technology have evolved. Neil, I noticed just as you were speaking, I pulled up the old three point two standard and I'm comparing it against the four point one. And uh, it used to be you had to number one install and maintain a firewall configuration. It doesn't quite say that anymore. Now it says install and maintain network security controls, because the edge has changed and the traditional firewall may not be, especially post-COVID, right? It may not be the traditional infrastructure um, configuration. And so um, the key point I'm making here is uh, you've said that it, PCI has evolved to be clearer, and, and that's a great example of that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even things like, you know, web application firewalls, that is becoming now very relevant with, uh, you know, uh, most software as a service companies, your traditional firewall that was actually, you know, a box that you put out there, correct? Your Cisco firewalls, of, you know, uh, those of us going back, uh, you know, 10, 15 years now all all of that has changed, and firewall is more of a you know a software as opposed to a physical device sitting out there. And web application firewalls are gaining more prominence. Obviously, the infrastructure firewalls are also there, but having a solid web application firewall is also something very relevant. Yes, I've also noticed that they've added a new SAQ, the SAQ SPOC, which has to do with off the shelf. Uh, mobile devices with a secure card reader. So we, we have this yeah. uh, interesting evolution of, of PCI. When I uh, started in PCI compliance, which is kind of my roots in cybersecurity in 2006, I think we had maybe five SAQs <laughs> and now we have 10, right? So very interesting. For any of our listeners, I've developed a chart that 
shows whether or not, based on the validation level, if it's an SAQ, does it need a scan? If it's an AEP, does it need a scan and or a pen test? And uh, I, I have that chart. So if you're interested, Neil, we can, uh, we can sync up and you can see my chart here. All right, guys, uh, this has been great information today. We want to wrap up this podcast. And um, Bernie, let's, uh, let's turn to you here. You deal with public companies a lot, yes. And um, update us on some of the new IT compliance requirements that are unique to these organizations. Yeah, Greg, I know some listeners out there, companies may be public today, or maybe they're aspiring to be public. They're entrepreneurs going to hopefully get there one day. There are probably two major things the bar keeps raising. One, of course, there's been a lot of press about the new cyber uh, disclosure rules SEC came out with that really sort of focus on a couple areas. One is more disclosure in your SEC filings about your governance of cyber risk, your cyber risk management program, what type of expertise you have on the board, what your programs are internally. And maybe the more interesting or controversial piece is the uh, incident reporting requirements that now you know uh, require a company to look at the materiality of a, of a breach and certain materiality is met, uh, notify the board and publicly disclose that. Obviously, there's been public disclosure requirements for many states for privacy reasons, but this is the first time you know the SEC now has uh, such a requirement um, in, in their SEC filing. So obviously a lot of great discussion in that area. And then probably one I'll mention too is, is Sarbanes-Oxley, Sox. Sox has been mm-hmm. around for 20 years and you'd think it would be a mature adult by now, but but it keeps growing. The bar keeps raising on Sox. And um, primarily because the accounting firms are regulated by this company called the PCAOB, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, who continues to raise the bar on the accounting firms. So the accounting firms are, are going to their clients. And things like uh, with DevOps coming, how your, your auditing changes, um, if you're using report writers, maybe that in the past has been an area that hasn't been scrutinized as much. And uh, application controls, you're now seeing auditors having to look at source code and how calculations are done in systems. And maybe that was an area in the past that wasn't looked at in, in such detail. So a, a lot more detail. If you're a public company, your auditor is probably going to keep asking you for more and more. Um, so uh, always a challenge to be a public company. Well, thanks for that insights as uh, as well. And as a final thought here, guys, and you may both have something to say about this, what are some of the best practices to make a client's IT compliance engagement go smoothly? Um, and, and to put some perspective on this, um, you know, at WebCheck, we'll, we can write the policies, which ARC doesn't do because uh, the auditor can't write and engage and, and then and then audit itself, really. So we, we help companies out in, in that respect and then turn them over to the experts at ARC 360 to um, gain their certifications and, uh, and so forth. But um, in that process, a lot of companies that have never gone through a SOC 2 before or that are looking to make the, uh, the process smoother um, – they probably are wondering, so how, how can I do this? What what are these best practices? So take it away, guys. Yeah, I'll start. I mean, I love this question, Greg, you're right. We 
we strive at Arc360 for a real superior client experience. And part of that is making the process as efficient, as painless as possible. And so I think we gather a lot of best practices. I'll, I'll throw out a couple. I know Neil will have a couple too. One is maybe harkening back to earlier conversation is you need a repository to put all your audit evidence. It could be one of these IT compliance tools. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to your point, if they're smaller, it could be a spreadsheet. But it needs to be somewhere. You need a right. repository to what happens is there's such a time-consuming process for companies aren't aware. The audit, we come in, audit, and no one has their information in one place. So really plan well, get your information out there in one place. A, a second one I'd mention is relook at your risk assessment. You know, we mentioned the rules for SOC 1 and 2 uh, are both, you know, increasing. And they all comes back to the company's risk assessment. These requirements, such as, multi-factor authentication and all the other things we mentioned may or may not be necessary, really depending on your risk assessment. As an auditor, we're going to look at that risk assessment. You've got to take a fresh look at it, document what you need to do, what you don't need to do, and, and that's an important part of your process to make things go efficient. And finally, I'll mention companies who further automate their access processes, for example, automate provisioning, automate deprovisioning, and lock people out when they leave the company, those can make your audit process, uh, number one, be a ton more efficient, but also be more effective because you're much likely, more likely to be compliant. So we strongly encourage companies to automate their access control processes to make the audit go easier. Neil, you probably have a couple too. Yeah, I think, I think Bernie, that's, uh, those are some great points. Greg, just to add to what, what Bernie mentioned, some of the things that are important to, you know, to help the audit go through smoothly uh, I think I think one of the key points is uh, you know understanding your compliance landscape, right? We spoke about 27,001 PCI. You know this could be a never-ending thing. So how do you essentially consolidate you know your control set wherein it's applicable to multiple frameworks, and then from an audit perspective as well, it drives that efficiency, but then it also helps make the audit more effective. So and and at the end of the day, that results not only in cost savings in terms of dollars. But time savings, correct? That is an important aspect. You know, your team doesn't have to deal through two, three sets of information. It's one set of information that they can then use across multiple frameworks. So I think that is one key efficiency factor that your audience should be thinking about. Uh, the, the second one, I always believe, you know, one of the things that Arc360, we joke around, is communicate, 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 right? And it's not only internally amongst our team, but clients with Arc360 and Arc360 with our clients, you know, sometimes I tell my team, you know, being over communicative is not a bad thing, right? I mean, communicate on a timely basis, communicate frequent, communicate often, communicate the right amount of information as well. And an important aspect of that is, you know, having those conversations early in the game so that we understand the scope of the audit and right scoping the audit is an important aspect. You know, sometimes, you know, on a 27,001 certification, I can give you an example. There's something called effective number of employees. Well, if you don't understand that concept, you could be treating 300 employees of your company as part of the ISO 27001 scope, but that does not necessarily need to be it. It can be boiled down to, let's say, 15 or 20 of your employees who are truly involved with building, managing, and operating the information security management system. So we can help you define your scope so that it's more targeted based on what your requirements are. Another, I always love examples. So another example I can give you is with respect to the software examinations. Do you have to include all five categories in terms of you know, the scope of your examination? Probably not. You might be even able to start only with information security and build on from there as you go along. So those would be a couple of examples in terms of scoping the audit. 
Uh, and then last but not the least, you know, companies spend a lot of money on, uh, you know, these uh, examinations, these certifications, these assessments. Uh, you're not only doing that. Yes, you know, a big factor is to make sure that you can give the assurance to your existing clients. But I think a huge benefit is also to market your services, correct? You know, you've taken the time and effort, you build a robust security practice. Uh, you might as well want to tout that, correct? And so using the SOC reports, using ISO 27000 run PCI as a good marketing tool is something that companies should definitely be thinking about. Not only will it give you, uh, you know, the, the traction with your existing client base, but will also give you traction with your prospective customers and that competitive advantage in the marketplace that uh, you should be looking out for. So anyway, Greg, those were some of the items from, from my side. Great insight. Well, guys, as we come to the end of this podcast, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, Greg, first and foremost, you know, I'd like to thank you, but uh, you can reach us on the website at www.aarc-360.com. We are also there on LinkedIn, so feel free to reach out to us. Our phone numbers are out there. Our email addresses are out there. So any which way that you can, you know, definitely feel free to reach out to us. Uh, more importantly, we are here always to help, uh, you know, work with the clients to make sure that, uh, like I said earlier, one of my objectives is to make the right level of IT security and compliance attainable to our clients, large or small, correct? And, you know, that's that's my objective out here at Arc360 is to be able to help our clients and make sure that we do right by them. Fantastic. Neil, Bernie, it has been an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for your valuable time and for your participation today. Lots of good information, and I hope listeners will kind of go back, rewind, dissect. Uh, very helpful. Very helpful indeed. Vistas thanks its sponsor, Nexus IT Consultants. For white glove cybersecurity and IT assistance, contact Nexus IT at www.nexusitc.net or call them at 435-659-2533. Today's music has been provided by Suit Up Soldier and can be downloaded on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular platforms. Check back soon for another episode of Vistas, published every month. Until next time, be positive and see only the good in others. 